Hi, everybody. I'm Daria Derman, and this is who I am. My guest today is polymath, puppeteer, and all-around fantastic person, Daria Derman. Hi, Daria. Hi. Welcome to the garage. Thank you. Garage, garage. The garage. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I like that. I think um, tea might have been a bad idea. I'm starting to swear. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good because for some reason I have like um, a cough that's been hanging out in mm-hmm. my throat for just only today. I think because my brain knows that I was going to come here and do this. Mm. But also you've been working relentlessly for several months Just now. years. <laughs> Just continually. Just yeah, pretty much since <coughs> I left <laughs> left my hometown <laughs> when I graduated high school. <laughs> pretty much just started working. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and um, this is a nice segue. <laughs> where, where was your hometown? <laughs> yeah, wow, that was effortless. Mm. Um, <laughs> I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where my mother and sister still reside. Mm-hmm. And they have a clothing line um, that I, uh, that actually my husband and I are both part of in a way. We do West Coast like production management. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes travel. There are a few shows <clears throat> that we do regularly during the year. Um, so I travel to places such as Las Vegas and New York City and mm. do those trade shows and, you know, hawk the goods. Mm-hmm. But uh, also wear, I, I mean, now like 90% of my wardrobe is Niche, which is the company. It's called Niche mm-hmm. uh, Clothing Company in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> we have a lovely boutique at the Pearl. Come and see us. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of clothes are they? Um, <clears throat> so... In the industry, there's terminology that use, like, soft separates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly women's wear. We've done small men's lines in the past. Um, but it's not... Uh, we don't currently have uh, any men's wear, I believe. I don't know. When this airs, maybe my mom will have changed it. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of... Um, f- funky. Like, we do a lot of... My sister and my mother work very hard to... Uh, find cool novelty prints. They put a lot of work and time into finding great fabrics. Mm-hmm. So uh, among the industry, we're kind of known for having cool fabrics, you know, um, fabrications, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, and the, the bodies are, the bodies refers to, refers to the silhouettes of the clothing and they tend to be, um, you know, intriguing without without being difficult to wear, they're comfortable and still professional and funky. And I, they're, they're so perfect for me (laughs) (laughs) because my other life is as a designer. Um, and, uh, and I, I find that it's helpful to look like I know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. when I'm talking to people about designing wardrobes for people, Mm -hmm. for, for characters. Do you ever use um, <coughs> niche stuff for projects? Or? Yeah, one of my favorite times I use <laughs> niche stuff. 
<laughs> I mean, of course I do, especially when I was first starting out because you have to use what you have. Mm-hmm. And when you start out, you're given a budget of approximately zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's like 10 bucks, but you, you know, you, you don't have money. So you have to use and beg, borrow and steal and buy stuff and return stuff, which I hate and I won't do anymore. But, um, yeah, my favorite iteration of using niche in, uh, in a, a styling and a designing gig was I was working for Funny or Die, and I did this um, this short video for them starring Gene Smart, which was one of the first times I've ever geeked out about a, dressing a celebrity. And I tried really hard not to cry, and I think <laughs> privately I failed. But <laughs> it, to Gene Smart's face, I did not. I was very composed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wearing a top that she really liked, <laughs> and and um, it was a niche top, like a tunic that buttons down, and it just fit nicely. And she's like, "I love that. Can we use that?" So we used it in the in the video, and then she wanted it. So <laughs> <laughs> so I. Just, I told her she could have it. <laughs> she <laughs> smart took my top, <laughs> and I couldn't be prouder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but luckily, I know the source, so I was able to go and get another one. There you go. So mm. my my earnest wish is that one day, Jean Smart and I will arrive at an event wearing the same niche top. Oh yeah, that would, that would make me very happy. <laughs> Who wore it better? That would be the... Uh... Yeah, definitely Jean Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, we'll go back to uh, film production and, and designing clothes later. But um, So you grew up in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And then what was that like? What was What is San Antonio, Texas like? It's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> so hot. Um, but it's a dry heat. It's so. not a dry heat. <laughs> that is a misconception. <laughs> we are, you know... Deep in the heart of Texas, mm-hmm. we're right in the middle, and we get lots of humidity from the Gulf, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. For mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's hot, it's humid, but because of that, it's also very lush and verdant mm-hmm. when there's not a drought. <laughs> so um, uh, lately, especially, it's been very green when I go home, and that's nice. Um, San Antonio is a wonderful place to grow up. It was, it was, you know. It's a humongous city. It's mm-hmm. huge. Um, and, you know, culturally, there's a lot of diversity in mm-hmm. San Antonio. And there's a serious, there's like arts, you know, that are really exciting and fun. And it was still when I was growing up, which was some number of years ago that I'm not going to disclose, uh, it was uh, still calm. You know, I, everything feels like the suburbs mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, there's a, there was downtown, but I never went there. I guess I grew up in the suburbs, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was lovely. It was lovely. I had a wonderful, <clears throat> calm, pleasant, beautiful childhood. And, uh, there's a lot of oak trees there. <laughs> What else would you like to know? I'm kind of <laughs> rambling. Um, I was I got into the arts when I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like every every, I think every little girl in San Antonio goes to dance classes at some points. Or, you know, a friend of mine did did uh, flags and which you know is it's it's a whole discipline with the marching marching band mm-hmm. and flags and stuff. And 
or at least the drum, she did the drum line too, which was pretty, pretty badass. But I think everybody ends up dancing at some point in some way. Um, I, I definitely, I hope nobody calls in and says like, that's incredibly sexist and I didn't and I'm fine and I'm sure you are. Uh, but, <laughs> but it was my experience that a lot of <laughs> girls did dance. Um, and I got into theater when I was in the sixth grade. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> you do, if you want to do any kind of art, it, and it was, I went to Eisenhower middle school and it, if you wanted to do an art elective, it was like a rotation and they put in. So I thought of myself as an artist. I was always an artist mm-hmm. growing up. I drew and I painted and I sculpted and I made like felt things and I made like, you know, all those little handmade, handmade postcards with like whatever. Anyway, it was cra- <laughs> I, was, I crafted um, <clears throat> and I fancied myself an artist. So in order to take the art class, I had to take an art and theater and maturation course, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> the, the, the most, I mean, a maturation class in the sixth grade is the most horrifying experience ever in the whole world. You sit in a room with, with all of your classmates and you talk about what happens, um, to boys and girls when they go through puberty. <laughs> What is sixth grade? Sixth grade is 11? Uh, maybe. Let me think here. Um, um, yeah, it must be 12. 10 or 11, depending on when you get mm-hmm. started. I think you <clears throat> I think you have to be a certain age to start mm-hmm. kindergarten, but you can go a little later as well. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, I don't remember how old I was. I must have been five when you started. Yeah, so it must have been like 11. Yeah, eleven-year-olds talking about like fallopian tubes. <laughs> we were just like, "Oh my God, please get me to the paints." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did start theater, and that was that set me on a course. <laughs> That's a natural progression, I think, isn't it? From fallopian tube. To yeah. Well, I had all that good, ma- horrifying material to work yeah. with. <laughs> I'm actually still working with that material. <laughs> things I learned in that in sixth grade is, is kind of I'm writing like a web series about it now so mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of uh, it paid off <laughs> um, yeah so what was the stage stuff what did you do well um, all of all of the theater classes were through the same theater teacher mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Mrs. Burnside what's up Mrs. <laughs> Burnside um <laughs> So what, what, what do we do? Um, I think the first thing I did was I was in a comedy play called Murder Most Foul, mm-hmm. but it's spelled F-O-W-L with a dead chicken. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't, it was about some sort of like, it was like a, I don't remember <laughs> really. It was like farm farm it was on a farm or a ranch or something and there was like a they were trying to solve the mystery of the dead chickens Mm -hmm. it was kind of like in an old noir style it was pretty fun Mm. but I remember I played a twin Daisy May Pruitt and I think it was like Daisy May Pruitt and Maisie May Pruitt or something (laughs) like that and my buddy Angela played my um 
my twin and we really bonded. I think we still talk about it sometimes when mm-hmm. we catch each other on the Facebook. Yeah. Do you, do you feel her pain as well? Is it yeah, I can hear her of? calling out to me from across <laughs> the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and for that show, I also like drew and designed the t-shirts for some reason they made t-shirts. Mm. I don't know. It seems like a lot, but <laughs> that, that I did that too. And I also, that's where I was introduced to makeup, the theater mm-hmm. makeup. So I started doing stage and special effects makeup when I was in the sixth or seventh grade. <clears throat> and I remember they did a talent show and I made, this was, uh, now, now I'm really going to, I'm going to date myself, but it, the mask was a big movie mm-hmm. at the time. I so, think it still is. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. And uh, just Amazing. for the record, that's the one with Cher and Eric. Or do you mean the Jim Carrey one? It's the Jim Carrey one. <laughs> okay. I dated <laughs> myself there. Though. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, that was just called Mask, wasn't it? I think. The, yes. The Eric. Yeah, what the, the Mask other guy? was. The, not Eric. What is his name? Uh, I don't know. Uh, James Spader lookalike. James Spader. <laughs> I don't know. If James Spader had been in it, I'd have remembered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric Stoltz, is that Eric name? Stoltz, yes. Mm-hmm. Eric Stoltz of... Oh gosh, <clears throat> of of a, a potential Back to the Future that never was. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> <laughs> alternative, alternative universe, Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For I think he's still in the film for a couple of shots where they. Yeah, I think so. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was in some kind of wonderful, which is like. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a such a fun. Memory for me. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I've been um, Amy's been trying to make me watch it. But oh, sure, yeah, you have to. That's John Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's a a whole list of John Hughes movies that I'm hoping to buckle down and rewatch during this hiatus, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> along with my list of approximately 23 other marathons of activity. Mm. <clears throat> I get very ambitious. Yes. During the hiatus. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I've got two months. I can pretty much accomplish all of my goals. <laughs> and then there's one day left and you're like, oh. <laughs> and you're like, fuck it. <laughs> What's the point of any of this? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, sorry. So the <laughs> Jim Carrey, the mask was out. Oh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, um, I, put that makeup on somebody mm-hmm. and I think I made it out of like okay so <laughs> there are these materials that you can use and for something like that it's 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 usually it would be a prosthetic application so mm-hmm. you would make the thing out of whatever latex or whatever the materials those guys use these days um, but what I did because I didn't have any knowledge of that <coughs> was I sculpted a huge chin and nose and cheekbones out of nose putty, mm-hmm. which for anybody who has ever worked with the material, it's very heavy. <laughs> it's waxy. It's like working with a block of clay. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I, I i mean, I didn't have anything else to work with. I didn't know what else to do. So I just did it. And I put that on h- this guy who I think his name is Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um and he had like a yellow zoot suit mm-hmm. and he had, and I painted his whole, we put a bald cap on him and painted him and then he had the hat and it was great. And it, it started my, um, it started my makeup career mm-hmm. basically. So from then on I was like, oh, I do <laughs> stage makeup. 
<laughs> I do stage and special effects makeup, <laughs> which, you know, <clears throat> it was basically still crafts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just working with what I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it served me like later in later when I moved to. So I, I moved to New York to go to college at Tisch at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was in college, I got a job working for Bobby Brown, the cosmetic company, not mm-hmm. the musician. Or um, the focus puller from <laughs> There's actually a focus puller called Bobby Brown. <laughs> right. So I did not work for Bobby, the focus puller. No. I used <laughs> to enjoy saying uh, it was his prerogative when he was going out to get marks and no one got it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that... that um, Initial again, shout out to Mrs. Burnside because <laughs> she really launched all of my careers mm-hmm. in that one go. I had the I had the art and design, I had the makeup, I had the I did some like styling, costuming, and I did some acting. And oh, by the way, I hope uh, I hope to share with you this bit that I was actually the um, I was the captain of the improv team. Mm. In my year, mm-hmm. which I don't recall if we ever put on a show or, or did anything, but I definitely was the captain, mm. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in a mime troupe for a second. Yeah. I mean, I just did it all. Yeah. If you're, if you're a captain of an improv team, you don't really know if you are or if everyone's just going along <laughs> with it. But that's the problem. Yeah, maybe everybody was just yes ending me. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, you're the captain, and yeah. I'm a sea bass, and uh, this guy's good. Yeah, I don't, obviously, I don't improv anymore. <laughs> uh, what did you study at college? Theater. Theater. Is that mm-hmm. what Tish is? I don't. Is, or is Tish? Tish is else? the arts school, so they also have a film program, and mm-hmm. I think they have, I think they have, you know, m- many disciplines of art, but. Um, for me, I went for theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went, I went to. So Tish is broken up into multiple studios, and I was at Playwrights Horizons Theater School, mm-hmm. which at the time didn't really have much of an affiliation with Playwrights Horizons Theater, um, and everybody assumed that I was a playwright when I told them that. But in fact, it's it's just uh, it's not specifically a playwriting college (laughs) it is um it is however interdisciplinary i Mm -hmm. i feel like when i when i um when i interviewed to go to college um they were my my what do you call it i don't know my interviewer Mm -hmm. uh was asking what are you interested in? What do you do? And, you know, we were talking about performance because we were there for auditions and for interviews. So at one point I did mention my history of costumes and makeup and, you know, that kind of, I feel like automatically funneled me into playwrights because they really train theater artists. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, I studied um, lighting design and sound design and, Um, script analysis as an actor and script analysis as a director and I directed a few things and I you know I also got a job working in the costume shop that was my work study and we had three days of conservatory and two days of liberal arts Mm -hmm. and I would on conservatory days you know you'd get up and you'd be in class from like 8 a.m. to 5 or 6 and then uh 
somewhere during lunch you're like stuffing in meetings with your group and then uh and then I would go have a, a rehearsal maybe for an hour after school and then I would work for like three or four hours and then I'd have another rehearsal and then I'd finally get to go home so my day was like seven in the morning till midnight or one a.m. Mm-hmm. and then you go to sleep and you get up at eight o'clock to get all of your liberal arts in after that so <clears throat> it was funny because the I feel like somebody from the business school for example would be like what you know you guys don't do anything real <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you can't party so <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the dumbest but I feel like the work was really the fun mm-hmm. all the time and mm-hmm. I always feel that way that's the work is always the fun um, when you're when you're creative mm. when you're being creative or using your creative facilities towards storytelling or you know any kind of expression yeah um, yeah that was that was, was the, I feel like the first year they they talk about like this year is to break you down mm-hmm. and it works I gotta <laughs> tell you <laughs> it's exhausting and um and then you start selecting in your second and third and fourth year the the direction you want to go like the track you want to be on Mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean i wow i learned so much and the thing is uh, you know i went to school for acting Mm -hmm. i was a performer and and occasionally i still am and i kind of wound up doing very little acting I, I was in a few shows and I did a whole lot of costume designing um, and a whole lot of makeup and and those skills have carried through like I still do those things now for money mm-hmm. which is neat um, <laughs> it's really really fun to get money for yeah. stuff that you do <laughs> um, uh, but I, I feel like I didn't really understand until much later well after I had graduated, the kinds of lessons that I learned uh, that were valuable to me in school. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was stuck in this feeling like, well, I'm supposed to be acting and I'm not getting the acting training and I don't know what to, you know, they don't, there's not a lot of professional studies. Mm-hmm. They prefer, you know, they prefer to, it's not like um, an industry, there, there aren't industry courses or right. there weren't when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, you kind of graduate and you're like, uh, now what? You don't know anything about agents. You don't know anything about, you know, there's like one showcase, but the whole hundreds of hundreds of students or thousands of students have to audition for these like 10 spots. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it feels like the real world, which mm. is cool. I mean, you definitely are disabused of any notion that you're like a bright, shining snowflake star and everyone's going to, you know, you're definitely a small fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, uh, you definitely get training in how to cope with that knowledge and how to work with smart, awesome creatives like yourself and how to collaborate. And I think that's something that has served me very well Mm -hmm. as a professional. And my favorite class was this class called, um, it was kind of newish when I first started, um, writing I, I wrote a couple of things but it was really because of this class so it's called creating uh, original work uh-huh. and we called it cow um, headed by Marlene Penison who's a brilliant 
teacher and theater artist. Um, and that class was where I think I learned my most valuable skills, which are to evaluate creative work while it's in the process of being created. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our directing classes, in the in in um, writing classes and in design classes, you learn to evaluate text and pull story from it and pull point of view and kind of apply what you know um, as a filter for that information, how to how to tell a specific story. Mm. And I feel like I learned a lot of great lessons in that way, but there was nowhere else that I learned how to, nowhere besides Cal, where I learned how to give feedback on something that is not my idea and not finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at those... Um, you you would every week we would get together and people would show something. I think it's just ten minutes of really anything. They could read from a journal that they wrote in. Mm-hmm. Um, they could perform some you know dance. They could perform some anything. It really could be anything. Um, so then we would all discuss kind of what we saw and th- try to point out what should be clearer or could be clearer and what was unclear and if that confusion was was designed then the rest of the thing had to be clearer or mm-hmm. if you know um and i find that very helpful it's a it's a way to be dip- like even in uh right now i'm in like a contract negotiation mm-hmm. <clears throat> and even that is something where i can apply these skills where i'm like well okay these deal points are not right um how how can I change the language? You know, it's like, um, of course, now I've lost all eloquence, so I'm not being <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good example of how great it was. But, but it is, it's something to, um, it's a way to view any work as a process mm-hmm. and to work on it in a collaborative way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and knowing that work isn't finished. Is, it's is not finished thing. and it doesn't matter what you would do with it. Mm-hmm. If it's not your work, yeah. it just matters what you see um, and why you think that is. And, you you know, sometimes it's about personal association so people can leave that feedback or, you know, take it or leave it. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's about clues that they put elsewhere in the work that led you to believe something. And if with a small adjustment, they could focus your attention elsewhere and, mm-hmm. you know. That was the best. God, what a great class. (laughs) I really wish I had an adult cow class because I have like 50 (laughs) projects that are just ideas I wrote down in my notes program on my phone. Mm -hmm. And I would really like, I would really like my West Coast cows to come and (laughs) help me make it a thing. (laughs) How long did you stay in New York for after college? I was there for just over 13 years Mm -hmm. total. So after college, you know, four less than that. Four-ish, five-ish. Actually, I took a I took a kind of a gap year, uh-huh. so I took a, a semester off. It was um, it was actually this in two thousand one in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I was meant to fly back to New York on the eleventh, mm-hmm. um, but I did not fly that day, obviously. Um, but I did end up going back, and I and I did like an internship at a talent agency and it was the poorest year of my life Mm. because I was only working at an internship (laughs) and there were no jobs and and then I took uh like two I did two half semesters in college so I took a lot of time off and when I came back I have to say I I had a a renewed vigor for Mm -hmm. my education 
I definitely recommend people to take some time off between high school and, and university. Yeah. Americans don't do that. And I think they absolutely should. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like I, it's very common in, in Europe and in everywhere. And, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the, in the world. Yeah. It was, it was, I don't know why it had never occurred to me that I could make choices about my education before that. Like you do know that you're supposed to choose a university mm-hmm. um, based on what you decided you're going to do for the rest of your life when you're 17. Um, but having the time away and experiencing even a, a weird, weird, you know, year, half year to a year of, of the real world changed what I wanted mm-hmm. out of life. And I had an incredible, <laughs> I had a, a, a f- incredible feminism and theater class with Dr. Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Alker. And um, that was, it was like, this incredible class where I, I kind of noticed that I had a voice and that I could wield it mm-hmm. and that I could think deeply about things <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, and also that I could, this is, this is, it, it sounds crazy and late, but it was also the time in my life in her class when I realized like, Oh, I can work on my work, like I turned in a paper and she gave it back to me and it was a grade that I did not appreciate and I didn't <laughs> want. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, well, you can just fix it and then give it back to me. I'll regrade you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I can just fix it and you'll change the grade. It was like the first time it had occurred to me that I could improve on my work mm-hmm. after I, I, you know, I, it's just like, I don't know. It just, Previously, it had all been just like, this is the deadline and you're evaluated and this is what you're worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then after that, I, 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 I don't know. I just, uh, I, it was very empowering. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I sort of coordinated my classes so that they had a feminist skew, you know, like a slant on feminism and gender studies. And, mm-hmm. oh my God, it was like the best year of education I've ever had. I, I, it's really, I feel like that year kind of, that's also the year I took cow classes and I took a gender studies class and I took the feminism and theater class and I don't even know what else, but it, it's that making those choices as a, a young teenager as mm-hmm. a, or an old teenager, I guess, <laughs> at the end of my teenage years, um, really shaped who I am and what I value mm. now. Mm-hmm. So uh, take a gap year, everybody. If you're thinking about it, just do it. Yeah. Do it. Your parents don't know. <laughs> Your parents don't know. You should just do it. They don't need to know. They don't. <laughs> they should know. <laughs> tell them where you are. <laughs> but tell them after you get there. <laughs> yeah. Tell them so that they can send you money. And that's, about, <laughs> that's about their only value at that stage because you're yeah. a teenager. No, I mean, my parents knew where I was. So I was just going <laughs> to say that. Like, I didn't disappear. I just didn't go to college for a little while. It was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what were you doing in New York after school? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what man. were you doing there? Just like nothing. <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, honing my emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like treading water. <laughs> <clears throat> trying to make a buck. Mm-hmm. I, I've had a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. I've worked a lot of jobs. Um, and mostly, mostly not making rent. <laughs> <laughs> I 
which was much more affordable. Back then. Back then, it was much more affordable. Yeah. And uh, and still not affordable. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Where were you living? I okay, so I moved to Brooklyn my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, Could you imagine trying to live there now? <laughs> well, I live. I stayed there until I left. Uh-huh. That was four years ago, I think. Oh, why? Okay, so you were there when it was really getting expensive, and and. Well, yeah. When I moved into okay, so I moved into a sublet. Mm-hmm. Uh, right out of college. Okay, so you have to live in the dorms your first year. That's a requirement. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> by the way, what a gouge. <laughs> like a cinder block room that I shared with somebody. Mm. And it was more expensive than all of the rent I ever paid moving forward. Mm. Um, but, you know, I was uh, right off Washington Square Park. so Oh, nice. It was really, that part was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that is, that truly that is an experience that I think you know, NYU doesn't have like a campus per se, mm. but I feel like Washington Square Park is kind of the heart of the school's buildings. Like yeah. there's a cluster there and it does kind of feel safe-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so I lived there for a year and then I moved to Brooklyn and I moved into this sublet and it was in this building that was just condemnable. <laughs> it was, there was like, Roaches. I mean, everywhere has roaches, but it, there was so many roaches mm-hmm. and silverfish and like all kinds of other bugs and this like crusty-eyed cat that ha- you know, like I don't know w- what was its problem, but I my I think it was my roommate's cat and she didn't take it to the vet and and then <laughs> periodically there would be just like water pouring from the light fixtures, mm. <laughs> which <laughs> looking back it was probably unsafe. Yeah. And I think our our our, you know, our landlord was a slum lord who was never in the country, or mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, I don't know, whatever. I was there for a few months, and then I moved upstairs, <laughs> <laughs> and there were rats. Um, <clears throat> and at one time, I was, I mean, rats are also a big New York staple. I personally, there were rats and mice in that apartment, and fewer cockroaches somehow. I think mm. I don't know. Do mice eat rats? I mean, cockroaches. Do rats or co- or mice know. eat cockroaches? I really don't know. Maybe they they're just, just aware. That they're afraid of heights. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. Um, yeah, I lived, I lived on the second floor, of the same apartment, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't have a real bed because again. I was very poor. I was a very poor student, and I lit. I slept on an air mattress for a couple of mm. months. It was cold, you guys. It was so cold. They never get warm. They do things. not. Um, but it was elevated off of the carpet, which was great because, as I mentioned, <laughs> silverfish, silverfish, <laughs> rats, mice, and cockroaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember I was living with this Irish girl named Adele. Um, and um, one time, at like four-ish in the morning, I just woke up and Adele was screaming. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I just like, I was shouting out. I was like, Adele, are you okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And, you know, like, um, and, and in the morning, I mean, it was just a few hours later. And I, I was like, Adele, what happened? Are you okay? And she said, yeah, 
I woke up and there was a rat on my chest this big and it was staring at me. And, and now you get to hear my horrible Irish accent. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Well, that was Irish. Irish. <laughs> yeah, that's, I studied that one. So uh-huh. that's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, and, uh, you know, un- uncoincidentally, Adele moved out like mm. a week or two later. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> gone. Um, I don't know where she went. Maybe she went back to Ireland. I think uh, the rats she were chased out of it. Ireland, right? It was like that. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> weren't they pied piped out? <laughs> no, that was Hamlet. That was in. Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> Germany and not Denmark, as you would. Um, <laughs> my my silverfish story I'd, I'd like to share with you was yeah. uh, after college. I moved in with a, a friend of mine, uh, my best friend, in fact, and um, hmm. we. I moved in and brought my stuff in, and silverfish started appearing in the house and he kept blaming me and saying you know you've got all of the these books and it's the paper they're coming in through the paper and <laughs> it's like okay and i would move stuff out and more silverfish would appear and then a few months later after continually telling me that it was my fault he said oh i think i know where the silverfish are coming from they're coming from the mattress that you've been sleeping on and i said what well, how did they get in there and he said oh it was a mattress <laughs> i got second hand <laughs> (laughs) did you pick it up off the street where did you get this thing (laughs) oh yeah so i was i was a big fan of that oh my gosh you know what at least it was just silverfish i gotta Mm -hmm. tell you new york had especially towards the end of my stay there like a bed bug epidemic Mm -hmm. it was like I've never seen so many people lose their minds over bed bugs. And <laughs> I don't mean to diminish how horrible they are by saying that. Like, they are horrible. Mm. And they're hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get into everything. And they're right? easy to get mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, a bunch, like, me and everyone I know do what we call dumpster diving. So we'll go dumpster diving on the Upper East Side and people put their nice furniture out on the street. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a young and it was safe. by the time i left left, that stuff was real suspect Mm -hmm. yeah you couldn't do it anymore i wonder if people still do that do people still get hey hey listeners (laughs) (laughs) hey guys hey guys uh do people still do that in new york (laughs) or is it not safe it kind of spread everywhere on the east coast right yeah it was bad it was like a real i don't Mm -hmm. know do you think it's because the temperatures are rising Ooh, has that been proven? <laughs> do, do we know that's a fact? I mean, this is just a theory. <laughs> I'm just theorizing. Yeah. Um, I don't think... Uh, I mean, London had, had rats. There was always the the thing about you're never further than seven foot from a rat or whatever. I can never remember the, the, the saying. But, mm. um, but that was just because we had the the sewer network and they were all down there oh. and never really encountered them until um, yeah i guess we have them in the train network yeah um and there yeah and there's underground as well in, in london and you would often see them just before the train arrived you'd see them scurrying around mm-hmm. and, um but because it's in a basin everything is damp every 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 building seems like it's got fungus <laughs> or mold <laughs> somewhere mm. in there mm. <clears throat> so yeah that was yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was fun but um but I d- move in here. There's no, I mean, there's fruit rats that. that fruit rats. Yeah, they they you know the things that. What's a fruit that, rat? Well, if you have any kind of fruit tree, which almost everybody in LA has somewhere near them. Oh, everyone um, in LA. Everyone has a fruit in LA. Tree. Yeah, well, it's true. If you go out on the street, there's like lime trees and. 
You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, the, I the don't rats. personally have a fruit tree, no. and I have a lot of um, jealousy and resentment about that. Well, but I know, I I'm can't. getting you for your birthday next year. <laughs> <laughs> Potted, <laughs> potted <laughs> citrus tree. Just a, yeah, generic citrus. It has five different varieties. <laughs> grapefruit, a wow, grapefruit cool. tree. Yeah, a grapefruit tree. Yeah, Those yeah, are big. Mm-hmm. Those are enormous. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And uh, the rats will come and they will eat the grapefruit. <laughs> I like rats better than bed bugs. Yeah, yeah. they have little hands. <clears throat> yeah, they're exactly. They're yeah. smart. Once I knew a, a rat named Jerome. There was like some. <laughs> I used to work at when I was in Texas. I worked at an ice cream store mm-hmm. as a scoop mm-hmm. and tricks and stuff. And one of the other people working there had a rat named Jerome. Mm. And one time I went over to her place and got to meet Jerome. And Jerome was lovely. Yeah. They very are pretty sweet, cool. To tricks. He was very gentle. If you go to the pet store, they all kind of flood forward to the Yeah, they're the like, cage the people. Yeah, they're like, oh, look, at pick me, pick me. <laughs> right. They're like, look, they have hands just like us. Yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and then you bite them and... Smack them Just against the snake cage or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see you've been talking to Daniel Quintana. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah. So anyway, bed bugs and rats and then... Uh, yeah, there's tons of fauna in, in New, New York. York. New, go a, live in New York. It's a lush <laughs> zoological dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so when, and then you came out here, what were you, were you doing any acting while you were in New York? Were you, were you still involved in theater stuff? I did. I mean, I did. I did. The the thing was in New York, I did a lot of theater. Hmm. I say a lot of, a a lot is not incredibly true. (laughs) (laughs) I did some theater. Um, I was a chicken. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Mm. Kindly for bringing that up. I played it. Yeah, I played a chicken in um, a show called "A Chicken Goes to Broadway," mm-hmm. and it played at the Peter J. Sharp Theater, which mm. is also a point of pride mm. for me. Is um, that on Broadway? Just ish. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> it was like a double header night, and I played. There was another show called Muffin that was about a couple <laughs> with a dead cat. <laughs> My director had to find this like very lifelike stuffed mm. cat. It was a whole thing, and th- I had to treat it like it was. Uh, it was. I didn't, you know. Yeah, it wasn't great, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Um, yeah, the chicken was the chicken was a puppet that you know, kind of looks like a classic. Like it looks like kind of a classic Muppet puppet. Like mm-hmm. you know, kind of put your hand up the backside of the puppet, and then you put your fingers in the mouth, your fingers and your thumb in the mouth, like a sock puppet. And Mm -hmm. it had a, it's called a rod puppet. So it had little rods on its wings and I could manipulate the wings with my left hand while I was Mm -hmm. orchestrating its mouth with the right hand. But that particular puppet was pretty heavy and I, you know, and was not working out at the time. (laughs) By the way, I'm not working out now either. (laughs) I don't work out. Um, so it was exa- it was kind of exhausting and rehearsing for it was just like uh, an exercise in humiliation. <laughs> just like, I'm, sorry guys, I need another break. I just can't, I can't hold it up above my head this long. Um, and it was short, and I sang Broadway show tunes as a chicken, mm-hmm. which you know, if my Irish accent is any indication, <laughs> then you'll know how great it was. <laughs> But uh, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, I really enjoyed the, the 
puppeteering aspect. That's something I want to explore again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I have plans. I did actually a theater. I did write a play with puppets <coughs> that I also later performed. This mm-hmm. was a few years after the chicken puppet um, called Hazel in Descent. It was part of a like a theater festival um, put on by uh, my friend's company. It was it's a company that was called Breeding Ground Productions and. I pitched this idea basically to um, this, uh, you know, the director of that theater company and, um, and basically wrote this fable. And it was the first time since (laughs) I'm just going to go take it back to cow. It was the first time since cow that I had written something and, and performed it. And it was, you know, a, a lot of very, very talented actresses lent me, and 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 an actor. There was one male part. <laughs> the rest of them were all women puppeteers, or really women actresses who I forced into puppeteering <laughs> with no <laughs> rehearsal. Or <laughs> they were really good sports. Thank you guys. I love you. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, that that um, it had been a long time since I had written anything when I did that show, and and it got there was one reviewer. There was one reviewer that came and reviewed it, and that reviewer wrote a very nice review mm-hmm. and it was like all the validation I needed, <laughs> which is sad. But, um, the whole thing, I was just like, Oh, this is great. I can do this again. And, you know, and then immediately found myself in like, you know, drowning in, in the cost of living in New York again. And then was like, Oh no, I don't have time. And mm-hmm. then, and I've been trying to get back to it ever since. But um, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna revive that guy. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna revive that play and do maybe like a skew towards educational theater because it really was kind of like a fairy tale fable. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to be clear, I've been talking about doing it since like 2008. So <laughs> <laughs> if there's anybody out there who can hold me accountable with like I don't know a grant program, mm-hmm. like you guys want. <laughs> Anybody running a theater out there wants to see a cool puppet show about a lady finding herself, uh, <laughs> holler at me. Yeah. At the Derminator. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> yeah. If you want to know about who I am, I am somebody who needs an accountability buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is who I am. <laughs> what brought you out here? What brought you to the West Well, Coast? um... Partially it was because I could not foresee making a living as a theater artist Mm -hmm. and partially because um, the more I thought about it, the more I really was enjoying the kinds of film and television I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Like more and more TV programs were incredible Um, and and um, more and more theater was kind of like, I don't know, it felt like what I was seeing was kind of like, oh, uh, it's the same downtown, like the same downtown theater, which was, I mean, the the work was incredible, but mm-hmm. you'd have to be in a basement and there were like 10 audience members and like, all it was all about supporting your friends and which mm. I'm happy to do, but like, <laughs> I don't, I don't personally want to ask people for, for their support for the rest of my life, yeah. you know? And or or they were humongous Broadway shows that were like 
exorbitantly expensive mm-hmm. and I didn't see a place for myself there either. And it was all musical theater at the time, you know? So I think the two factors I was just, uh, I took, um, I took a monologue audition class with an incredible teacher named Karen Kolhas and she through her class recommended a producing your own work class. Mm-hmm. Um, that was taught by Molly Pearson. And I was kind of in this space where I had written Hazel before and I had done the cow work before and I was really interested to do more of that. And I thought, okay, this will be my accountability thing. I'll mm-hmm. do a producing your own work class. It's for, you know, it, it wasn't for screen. It was like producing any kind of work. Um, and I took that class and it, it sparked... I wanted to do a short film mm-hmm. um, and I didn't have a script for it. And over the course of the class, I kind of like threw together a script and eventually decided like the script doesn't need to be made. <laughs> like this story <laughs> is not compelling or interesting or necessary, but the work was exciting and clear and I enjoyed doing it. So, so I thought, God, I really want to start, I really want to start working with, with, film I mm-hmm. want to work in film and or television which is where I where, where I estimated the most like risks were happening mm-hmm. you know um, and I still think that's true I think TV has a lot of really cool boundaries being pushed and mm. um, you know non-traditional voices and by non-traditional I mean not cisgendered white men um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm still pretty hopeful about what's happening with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that um, led to the decision that, okay, I want to work in film and I want to work in television. And based on my experience in New York, which has been, you know, had been 13 years of just like treading water and not making much headway and doing mm-hmm. everything on my own, on my own dime, you know, and not being able to explore beyond my own means and doing my the work I was most passionate about in the darkest hours when I was the most exhausted I just decided um you know I wanted to go I wanted to go away (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go where they make movies and make decisions about movies and Mm -hmm. and I wanted to see how they did it Mm -hmm. um and I was uh I was able to convince my then boyfriend to also come to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And so he, who is now my husband, um, also decided he wanted to try it. So we, we did it. We mm. didn't have um, any jobs or leads or anything, but we were like, let's just get out of here. <laughs> did you drive across country or did you? God, Jamie, you know, I really wanted to drive. <laughs> we wanted to drive across the mm-hmm. country. The winter before we were to move, our car had, like, our car's heart exploded on mm. the, where was it? We were, um, it was like a, uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania, <laughs> our car was going up a hill and it's just like, it's all of the, the whole dashboard lit up at once and it was just like something exploded and mm-hmm. we're like, oh my God. And then we pulled over and. And it turned out like, I don't know, some, some part, I don't even like the engine had completely failed. Mm -hmm. So 
so we decided not to buy a car in New York to take the road trip. But what we did do was we moved. We were going to get married uh, in New York, and we decided to get married in San Antonio instead mm-hmm. for a myriad of reasons. But um, we picked up a car there, and we drove halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. And that was plenty. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go again, but there's a certain um, there's a certain point at which you just decide, oh my god, I'm not making any income, and I don't have job prospects, and what am I going to do? And the anxiety overwhelms the experience mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. But but whew, that was the first time I saw the Grand Canyon. That was very beautiful. Yeah, and spent some time, and we took a detour up to Colorado, and Colorado was beautiful. And mm-hmm. It was great. How long did it take? God, you know. <laughs> another thing about who i am (laughs) is i am terrible with time Uh i have a very very poor concept of time i feel like okay so i'm like a i have self-diagnosed time blindness (laughs) (laughs) so i think maybe it was like two weeks Mm. i don't know i i I feel like my husband could tell you for sure he has a, a much stronger sense of time I feel like when I look at when I look at back at memories and I try to place them on a time continuum, it's literally like looking at a Jackson Pollock painting. And mm-hmm. there are just events and I can pick out the specific event and tell you specific things about it. But if I were to try to put them in order, it would be like a super advanced jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. which I do not do for fun. <laughs> but I'm open to trying. Uh, anyway, so I think it was like a week or two weeks or it might have been a month. I don't know how long we were out there. It was a long time. Or it was not very long. It was the Oregon Trail. You were <laughs> so I got dysentery. <laughs> I, two of my oxen died. Yeah. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you, where did you move to when you got here? Did you do the, the straight to the, the coast, straight to the beach and try and find somewhere to live there? Or did you, um, did you stop? No. Stop over the mountain and just say, no, this will do. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually ended up, we moved to the east side of Los Angeles nice. because we had a friend. We moved close to a, our our friend, mm-hmm. basically. We had one friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a couple of friends, but they were all on the east side. And then we had one friend on the who lives in Santa Monica, mm. which they still do. And they have a beautiful place. And it's, yeah, I'm whatever. very jealous. It's not worth it. <laughs> It's really not. Um, no, sorry. No, no shade at Santa Monica. <laughs> Santa Monica represent. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it was just central to all of the, and we thought it would be easier. We were closer to the highways that got us to different studios mm-hmm. and we didn't have a job. Neither of us had a job. So we wanted to be as accessible to everything as possible. Yeah. Um, and actually we're still in our first apartment. The first apartment mm. we got is still the apartment we live in. Oh, nice. It's, it's, don't tell my landlord, but it's under market. <laughs> <laughs> it's an under market two bedroom. So we're going to stay for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, someday I'd love to buy a house, but I just don't have a half a million dollars. Yeah. Well, that will get you something really Yet. nice by the airport or <laughs> by the... <laughs> nope. No, a half million dollars will get you a pretty solid 
gut reno remodel. <laughs> mm, yeah, plot of land and you can... Plot of land is going to be more expensive. <laughs> 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 I'm be honest. Um, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. The housing market here, I feel like... So people think that L.A. is a lot cheaper than New York, and there are ways in which that is clearly true. Mm. Like, uh, one of my friends said it best. I feel like Los Angeles is an easier place to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, as a struggling artist, it's easy to struggle here. It's easier. Yeah. Um, you don't fight the elements. It's always sunny. Sometimes it's oppressively sunny. <laughs> um, but it's, there's, you know... Y- y- your opportunities aren't limited by the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, and and I think the rents are generally cheaper. I I haven't looked at figures, but my sense is that you can get, you can get apartments for comparable prices or a little less. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like you, the apartments themselves feel more spacious. Yeah, you have a little more breathing room. Yeah, it feels you. like you can breathe a little bit yeah. more inside the space. Mm-hmm. It's not like 100% vertical. Mm-hmm. Like I had really tall ceilings in New York, <laughs> and I maximized them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that can, that can get a little daunting as well when all of your heaviest things are like, t- you know, two or three feet above your head <laughs> at all times. Or, or I lifted the bed and put just like crammed stuff under my bed. My bed was wearing lifts and I just like shoved everything under there and st- it was packed. Anyway, so here you have more space and also I feel more inclined to get rid of things. Mm-hmm. I feel like not every item is, I'm not like desperately precious about items and that might also just be that I'm getting older, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the housing prices, if you want to buy something, it is just so expensive mm-hmm. it, but isn't that true everywhere like isn't just housing a problem right now i think so yeah i think you know i came from london which was <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got priced out there pretty quickly oh yeah fair enough um to hear and it's i think the the I, I used to always say that the best time to buy a house is five years ago because <laughs> it you have to have bought a house at an inflated price and then been there for five years before you feel like it is matching roughly what mm. you can afford. And mm. it's it just it changes so quickly. It, it like the the pace that it goes at. I think the speed that the price goes up means that a lot of people panic buy, mm. which doesn't help. Like mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I, when we were looking for a place, we went to a um, uh, open house in. Uh, Glassell Park I think it was but it mm-hmm. was like right off of the, the freeway and it was a you know it was a little fortress house they'd, they'd picked out this plot in a place that was not a nice neighborhood at that stage and um, they had built a huge fence around it and they had made it as nice as possible inside <laughs> and it was it was very pretty they'd flipped it but it was like a, a decent flip it wasn't one of those where it's like we're going to carve up some bedrooms and mm-hmm. the walls don't make sense and it's all mm-hmm. faux granite and <laughs> nasty it was it was actually a very um a, a well done job that they'd done mm. and we went there on a sunday and there was you know 20 people in there wandering around and i can't remember what it was on for but it was it was on maybe for 
350 or 380. So it was a while ago. Wow. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And we phoned up to ask, that day we phoned up to ask what was going on with it. And the person said that they had already gone past 500 at that stage and that there was 20 people bidding on it. And if we wanted to get involved, we could. (laughs) If you want to get involved. (laughs) We said, we're good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I think the... Right, so now that place is starting at 500,000. Oh, yeah. And people are bidding upwards of mm-hmm. nine. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. And I think that's the, the... I think people do just panic and think, I've got to get on, I've got to get on the, the ladder, I've got to buy something. And, I, you know, I don't know if that's totally true here, but that was just one experience I had. But in mm. England, that was definitely happening with a lot mm. of my friends. I was always... Uh, my friends finished school and went to college and then got jobs and they all did pretty well. And I was kind of like, I left school a little bit earlier to work and then worked for a long time and then went to college and then came out and then started in film where I was basically interning for mm-hmm. a year. And for exposure. For exposure. <laughs> 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 and... Um, so I was always w- way behind them, but I remember just sitting there and watching. And you know, there were people they were buying these basically like converted lofts, studios mm-hmm. that were, um, you know, they were buying them for hundreds of thousands of pounds, mm-hmm. and then they would get the paperwork, and it would show like three years ago they were forty thousand pounds mm-hmm. or whatever, and it was just there was a panic going on at that stage. I think that happened here too. I remember when we first moved here, you could get. Like a t- like a, a one or two bedroom apartment downtown for three hundred thousand mm, dollars, and you yeah. cannot get that now. No, you cannot <laughs> get that now. If if anybody sees a listing, please text me. It's at the Derminator <laughs> at, at, on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, that was you know that's and I think you're right. I think there is like a um, the environment here is a lot nicer to mm-hmm. to spin your wheels in or whatever to mm-hmm. sort of. The enthusiasm here is a lot more. Um, you can convince, Emphatic. yeah, you can convince <laughs> yourself everything's going okay for a lot longer here than than places is like New York an, and London. Is that advan- advantageous or is that I don't a problem? Think it is, de- but detrimental. I think there's a lot of people who aren't realistic about that. Sure. <laughs> and um, but don't you need a little bit of that lunacy? Like I yeah. feel like you need that self delusion to fly in the face of so much criticism. Absolutely, yeah. And this is like, you know, this is the, the, the watermark. This is where everything washes to this point in the country. And mm-hmm. it all kind of smashes against the coastline and then kind so of slowly, I know, <laughs> slowly peels back. And what's left is like the, the crust of the, the flotsam <laughs> and jetsam of creativity. <laughs> Just the like detritus yeah, that won't the, quit. And you can make beautiful couches or chairs from beachwood mm. <laughs> that's mm. that's the entire creative process um, yeah that's <laughs> accurate <laughs> yeah yeah mm. anyway <laughs> <laughs> so you came here with no job <laughs> moved into an apartment through mud at the wall and yeah so it's what happened like, after that what, um what i ended up getting a job again with with the makeup company Bobby mm-hmm. Brown that oh, I yeah. had I'd, I'd freelance with them and then I had worked full time for them and I came here and worked at counter for a little while mm-hmm. um, 
and I started, a, a friend recommended me to, to assist with a costume job of her friend who mm-hmm. had worked with Funny or Die, and that job snowballed, and I kind of ended up, you know, designing, I think they, like, I, one of the craziest things that I ended up doing was kind of immediately after the first job, one of the producers asked me if I wanted to make costumes for a sketch, and it was this sketch that was, like, one of several clips that were a coming attraction sketch. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing was it was off of the heels of um, like the Resident Evil. Mm. I don't remember which Resident Evil, but one of the Resident Evils <laughs> was going to be in theaters. And and the funnier die spin was that it was like another video game movie turned into an action movie and so it was Mila Jovovich starring in a game of like zombie Tetris. Mm-hmm. So I made Tetris costumes. I made like Tetris pieces mm-hmm. for Mila and company to wear. There were three, I think, but I had two days to make them <laughs> and I was working alone mm-hmm. and I ended up eventually co-opting my husband to help me because it was so, so much work to do all by myself and I like went and bought foam and I constructed these boxes and we had to paint them and I was painting them all night before. I mean, it was just like, it's a crazy timeline. I think anybody else would have said no. And I think that's why he asked me because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure. 36 hours to get. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait, <laughs> you know. And you can still see that clip, I think. I'm like, I should, I should find that clip. Um, but it. It was like we were painting them. It was the, uh, it was my darkest hour as a costume designer because we, I really, at one point, you know, I think my crew call was like seven or so in the morning and like somewhere around 4 a.m. I was just like in tears. Just the paint wouldn't dry Mm -hmm. because (laughs) it was nighttime and there was dew. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. just like we had the fans going. We had, we put, we put like, plastic down on the ceiling and we were trying to like they were huge pieces so I was like rollering paint and then there was like shading to do and then after that there was construction like gluing the thing in place and then we had to it was just like and I had to rig them so that it wasn't just like boxes that sit on somebody's head you Mm -hmm. know what I mean I had to rig it with like shoulder straps and somehow secure it and I didn't have any tools and I didn't know anybody here and I didn't have any friends who could help me make them and I didn't know <laughs> you had you one friend at that stage <laughs> yeah that's right but he did he was not helpful <laughs> <laughs> and also you can't ask your friend to, I, whatever that's a, I, it was like what a what a cluster it was just like I'm just like I'm like sweating thinking about it I'm like <laughs> losing it right now but I, I got it done and it was like super fun and it was um, it was uh, it was something that I think earned me more work mm-hmm. because people who hire people were impressed. Mm. Um, probably that I was a sucker and could would, would do it at all. <laughs> That's probably what impressed them the most. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I just that turned into more work and and that work turned into more work and I've mostly you know this is a unlike New York, this is, I think, really a recommendation town. Like, it's a referral town, Mm -hmm. and you get work because somebody said, hey, that person's good, I worked with them. And I don't know if it's because stuff happens fast or because there's so many projects, but Mm. I feel like that's often good enough 
which is, I mean, it boggled my mind when I got here. I was like, I'm going to get my resume ready and I'm going to put this portfolio together. And I got to tell you, I haven't, I have not used those things mm-hmm. since yeah. I've been here for one job. One job I had to get, submit a resume and it was kind of after I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a proof of, mm-hmm. proof of legitimacy. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, that that aspect blew my mind because I was ready for what I mean, New York is you have to not only do you have to have that referral, but you also have to have the best book and you have to have the best resume. It mm-hmm. all has. You have to be the best one and you have to know somebody. Yeah, that's my experience of New York. But, <laughs> you know, somebody else might somebody else might have had an easier time. Maybe it just wasn't meant for me. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I came <laughs> here and it was just like easy peasy. And you've been doing costume stuff since then i have yeah i still do makeup sometimes um Mm -hmm. uh, but it's rarer i feel like most cases there's somebody better who wants it more and i'm i'm happy to refer Mm -hmm. people to them um and i do a lot of costume design lately i've been working as a costumer which is different Mm -hmm. than a costume designer for Mm -hmm. those of you who don't know um uh but i through one of actually that one job that that somebody asked for a resume it was for a job that I wasn't even the designer for Mm -hmm. it was the one job that I did where I was a costumer and um, the designer for that movie happens to be the designer for the tv show that I work on now Mm. Um, she uh, that's Dina Appel for those who don't know works uh, as a designer on the Fosters and she was the designer for this one movie um, that is currently called Golden Vanity. It's like a one costume, one woman feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ha- she designed that dress. It's like an Oscar dress from the 1950s. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but I-, I was just, you know, I was on set to make sure it all went well and keep it, keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> keep it fresh. Keep it looking sharp. Um <clears throat> but she, yeah, she liked my work and eventually I was able to get a position on the Fosters. And ladies and gentlemen, that is where I met uh, Jamie Gamble, our host. Yes. So I've been doing that mostly. And then in hiatus, accomplishing all of my dreams. <laughs> 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 um, and that's been going well. Mm. <laughs> and you have been working most recently on a uh, you said a web series yes yes a digital series digital series sorry yes. no I said web series earlier oh, okay. you're correct sorry. Okay. I'm right. correcting myself Calm down, please everyone <laughs> everyone please take a breath <laughs> um, yes I wrote I wrote I had an idea for a horror series that I sort of casually shared with my horror director friend mm-hmm and she liked the idea so much that she wanted to direct it, to which I said, sure, absolutely. <laughs> and then um, she ended up pitching it to a production company who liked it but wants it as a series. And I said, sure, let's do that. Um, and so we've been, we've been developing it. I wrote um, seven episodes that we cut down, or I wrote six episodes that we cut down to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, we're still... As is, as is the case with many of these things, we're just we're still in uh, negotiations. <laughs> but it, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to say too much because you never know. These things like 
are definitely happening until suddenly they're absolutely not happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm fully prepared for that possibility, but we're, we teamed up with, um, a really fantastic production company called fun size horror. Who's who, uh, you know, uh, the producer Molly Elfman is, is, uh, basically helping us make this happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, Laura Moss, the director is, um, you know, has been an incredible asset. Now I met Laura through that Tisch undergrad theater program mm -hmm. and she was also in cow and she is now an incredibly talented writer, director, filmmaker. And, uh, I could not have asked for a better partner for this project. Like it has been a whirlwind and super educational and really fun to go back to those roots of like, just write, just write it, make it good. Mm -hmm. Just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so fingers crossed. Knock on what is this for, Micah? Yeah, I think Knock that on might for be. Micah. This, I think this one's wood. Let me. Yeah, would you? There you go. Thank and you. this is definitely wood. So. Oh, great! Yeah. I'm just gonna go around and knock on everything <laughs> that's made of wood. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So fingers crossed for that. Mm. Uh, Do you enjoy writing? That's a great question. Mm. <laughs> I love having written. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, right. I mean, writing, I do enjoy writing. I, I think like many struggle with that, like the, the initial inertia it takes to just like put something on that staring cursor, which used to be referred to as a blank page. Mm. <laughs> now it's all digital. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really just kind of, I feel like I'm just exploring it now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wrote for stage before and I feel like the formatting was never something I considered and never thought about. And, and all of those projects were small and, and they were solo shows or mm -hmm. they were for an, uh, a crew that I was also communicating with during rehearsal. You know, the, the actors were all people that I could just speak with yeah. if they had questions. So the idea of formatting writing and communicating to communicating the story to like network executives is a whole nother ball of wax. And mm -hmm. it's interesting. I mean, um, the director I spoke of, my partner in development, Laura is really um, brutal and great at like striking things that she's like, that's subtext, that's subtext, that's subtext. <laughs> <laughs> trying to incorporate those lessons a little bit, but, um, yeah, I think I love it. I think I love it. Um, I, I find it incredibly empowering that you can shape a story that mm -hmm. could have any kind of impact on somebody. Um, and I'm just, I'm learning about what it means when as a screenwriter, you have to release you have to like release your baby into mm -hmm. the care of someone else and <laughs> relinquish power over how any of it goes, you know, but yeah. if you, I'm very fortunate because I'm working with a director that I love and trust, you mm -hmm. know? So in that regard, it's kind of like at a certain point you're going to see, okay, now what, what are you going to do with this information? And, mm -hmm. and that's the, that collaborative thing that you have to try to, try to uh, develop yeah. in, inside your heart mm -hmm. and your ego. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
It's been good. I'm just, yeah, I'm exploring it now and it's been really fun. Mm -hmm. Do you, you like writing? Yeah, I actually do. I'm, I, I like the mechanical act of writing. I find it relaxing when I... Now, when you say the mechanical act, do you use pen or pencil to paper or do you use the digital I, I, I have an analog stage that helps me... Uh, for lack of a better term, break the story. Um, I mm. find it very hard. I, my process is to think about an imagery or a, a feeling mm -hmm. that is part of the story and then try to connect a couple of those together. And then when I feel like enough of those have connected together that makes sense, I feel like I've got the start of a story. And mm. then I do very rough notes with pen and paper or pencil and paper or whatever, normally on the back of sides at work. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, um, that sounds right. And because I can't, I, I, I tried doing notes on phones and things like that. And it just, I can never, that stage doesn't work for me. Mm. Um, and then once I've done that, I, it's all in my head until I sit down and write out. And when mm. I'm writing, I'm f absolutely fine to do it. I can just switch mm. off and, and do that mm. on a, computer or whatever when you get to the computer stage do you usually have it sounds like you put together a few key elements of the story mm -hmm. that you're writing do you usually have a sense of where your story is going to end up when you start writing yeah i you know I, I won't start until i know how it's going to end mm. so. cool mm. <laughs> i should try that <laughs> so far it's a. Uh, just been the wild west of writing mm. in my in my apartment <laughs> <laughs> like let's see what these guys are gonna do yeah do you um do you make sure that you know who your characters are before you start writing them or do they do they express themselves to you as you write them um that's uh that's tough because i i I like to think I map them out enough. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I've tried doing the things. There's supposed to be like a certain number of questions you ask your character, and that gives you an idea of who they are. And it's, uh, I, I can't remember the, the 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 main one is like, what is their goal? What do they mm -hmm. want to achieve, or whatever? And yeah, what do they want? What mm -hmm. do they need? Yeah. How do they get it? Exactly. I've um, heard. And I hope I do that. I hope I don't just write these kind of bland place names that are just telling the story through your voice yeah that jamie hope, would have i hope my voice isn't anywhere in there <laughs> <laughs> um but i don't know i don't i feel like you know for the few things i've written i feel like there's enough difference in it to make me feel like i'm not doing that mm -hmm. do you always have a character that kind of reacts the way you would react do um, you have do you write yourself into stuff no, I don't. No? Have yeah. you ever? No, I tr I've tried doing that when I was younger, but, in it, you know, it felt absurd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a novice indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I really need to do at some stage, I've, you know, I, when I'm writing a villain, I tend to write in a very, the villains tend to be very linear rather than realistic, if that makes sense. They're mm. not. Um, and I haven't tried writing someone that's really horrendous, but justified in their mind that they're horrendous. It's normally, there's normally an element of tragedy as to why they're a bad guy mm. that I try to use or I try to make it 
um, I try to make them a bad guy because of something. Or mm. Like somebody shot their dog and then yeah. they go on like a 90 minute murder yeah, spree. Exactly. That's um, not a specific movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that one could be. <laughs> um, but the, but I've, I've thought about like, you know, the, the idea of writing horrendous people and it's, especially in this, this current climate is that there are so many horrendous people out there that are, readily presenting themselves in so many ways and social media and the internet and the presidency and uh, (laughs) (laughs) things like that um i've never tried to do that i've never tried to sit down and make someone that's not you know not in that either end of being tragic or absurd Mm. you know someone that's kind of why do you think that is um, because I grew up around a lot of people that were horrendous mm. and realistically horrendous. Oh, it would be too sensitive. Yeah. It would be too raw. Yeah. And yeah. I think I've done that a lot with, with what I've been writing. I've been not, I've been not holding back, but I've not been letting go. Mm. And that might just be a control thing on my part, or that might be, you know, a confidence thing or a, if I do it and it fails miserably, then that would hurt more than. You got to do it, Jamie. Yeah. This is, <laughs> my God. The, clearly your task is to write a mm-hmm. horrendous, inexcusable character who also believes 110% in their, that they're justified in their actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've had I a mean, couple of ideas for things, but... It's, well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your homework. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you should write... Well, I don't know what's... I'm new at this. Ten pages. Mm-hmm. Highlighting the most horrendous character of your ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and show show me at the end of class. Okay. Great. <laughs> 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 <clears throat> yeah. So what about you? What are you doing next? Back to you. <laughs> I don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I'm working on this. What, yeah. This, um, this digital series mm-hmm. that I, I really hope it, I hope somebody makes it. And I hope, I mean, if we can't find, first of all, we're going to find somebody to make it. If we can't find somebody to make it, we're just going to make it. We're going to mm-hmm. make a cheap version of it. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of really hope somebody will do it justice mm-hmm. um, and that they will be intrigued in the rest of it because over the course of developing this, you know, five episode, each one's short. Each episode is like, you know, six to eight pages, um, which I think is digestible chunks for a TV show. But uh, in developing this series, I'm, I've become, you know, aware and vastly interested in the story that happens after this story mm-hmm. and the world that it expands into. And I really, really want to get a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so kick ass. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think. Maybe. Maybe. It's going to be horrible. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> terrible. I'm a shit writer. <laughs> that didn't take long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but it's good. It's a world that I want to hang out in for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Just beefing up a bunch of other skills. I'm. I tend to 
Like, I've always been searching for what it is that I do or, like, what my passion is. You're supposed to find your passion and, mm-hmm. like, follow your pet, follow your bliss mm-hmm. or whatever. But I get blissed out about a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, anything that I see that I like, I want to do it. I want to make it with my own hands. Mm-hmm. And I want to, put, you know, express an, my own story with that stuff. And and I the only common thread I've found is that I... I I will get an idea and I want to express the idea somehow mm-hmm. and and I kind of can't let it go. I get obsessive about it and it does not matter what the medium is. Like each idea has its own ideal medium. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, like I'd love to make this like 10-foot sculpture that I that occurred to me and maybe I will and I have other like I have sculptures I want to make and I have drawings and paintings I want to make and I have scripts I want to write and I have a short story and I have a theater show I want to write and I mm-hmm. have a couple of features I want to write eventually when I get the hang of this thing and I would like to shoot something and you know I want to I uh, there's a ton of stuff there's this podcast I want to work on mm-hmm. You guys, <laughs> Jamie and I want to do a podcast together. Yeah, we do. Um, it's going to be really much more exciting than this. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so good. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I will use any means at my disposal to express whatever the idea is. Mm-hmm. And um, and I feel like, in a way, it's... a it's disadvantageous to to be unclear about what your one trajectory is mm-hmm. and and you kind of chalk up everything to a hobby eventually <laughs> but but that the thread is I'll use whatever is appropriate to express the idea so so you know I always have 10 projects on the back burner and and they fuel the project that I'm working on. So I, I'm starting to let go of the notion that I have to give everything up and, and only explore one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels somewhat disorganized, but eventually I expect to see a pattern of some sort. <laughs> Surely there will be a voice that comes from it. But, uh, but yeah, it's all about expressing that idea, however mm-hmm. it however it translates. Yeah. And if people want to find you or if you want people to see what you're up to <laughs> at the Dominator or. Sure. <laughs> 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 uh, I don't want anyone to find me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I guess at the Dominator on Twitter. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I have, I have the Facebooks and I have the Instagrams. Mm-hmm. I'm actually building a website right now oh, where you people are? can see. Yeah. Oh, nice. Just a, little, just a little. That's one of the myriad things that I'm projects I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll be live in the next week or so. And that's ah. dariageerman.com. Um, <laughs> it's mostly going to be pictures of things I've costume designed mm-hmm. primarily. Excellent. Um, yeah. And you'll be back soon to do the podcast with me. So. Oh, yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be fun. That it's, one's going to be fun. Yep. It's going to be so good. <laughs> it's going to be. No, no, go ahead. It's going to be a lot drunker. <laughs> That's, that podcast is going to be a riot. Oh, yeah. This one uh, is quiet. Yes. That one's going to be a riot. Nice. Thank you, Daria. Thanks, Jamie.
That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am. (laughs) 